I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices on Racism in the UK, the podcast that provides a platform for real people to share their untold stories. In this series, hear about the devastating long-term effects of racism in the UK. Some of these personal stories may be hard to hear, but it's absolutely vital that we air them in order to enact much-needed change. So please, share them with a friend. Let's get into today's episode. Today, we're going to hear how a young Iranian refugee was shaped by her early trauma and how she came to finally embrace her authentic self. And this kid looks right in my face and slams the door shut. This is Dina, remembering a particularly traumatizing moment in her childhood. She's now an accomplished author, happily living in London with a young child of her own. But to find out how she got there, Let's jump back to the mid-80s in Iran. I was born in Iran and, uh, you know, I was born during a revolution and lived for the first few years of my life in wartime. You know, the Iran-Iraq war was going on. It was kind of a, a tumultuous childhood. Despite the war going on, Dina fondly remembers the time her family spent together in the village her dad grew up in. Her granddad's long-winded stories, her grandma's huge meals cooked for 20 people. Prior to the revolution, her aunt and grandma on her mum's side of the family had emigrated to the UK and her aunt was about to get married. So we came for a wedding in the summer that I was turning six. Actually, exactly the same age that my daughter is now. And we were just there for a short trip. But during the time that we were there, uh, my mother converted to Christianity. More on this conversion to Christianity later in the story. The streets all looked so different with these like storybook looking houses with the roofs, you know, the way London is. The six-year-old Dina loved everything about London, especially the things we take for granted. They were like bananas. They were bananas. When I was in, in Iran, we had no bananas. We knew about them and I think I had had one before I was six and it was like a terrible spotted banana that someone had smuggled in and it was probably no good, but I knew the flavor. And there were Maltesers, which I thought was an absolute miracle <laughs> of, of like culinary perfection, like Maltesers. Like, what is this magic little ball? The plan was to spend a couple of months in London, then go back home after the wedding. She was staying with her grandma in Golders Green. And there was a little park nearby and she had this cat and everything about the way she lived seemed absolutely magical to me because it was so Western and it was so foreign to me. And so when they said you should go to, you know, the school for a couple of months and learn English, I was so excited. I was just absolutely delighted. But as anyone who moves school as a child knows, it can be hard making new friends, especially when you can't speak the same language. I remember certain things like the first little girl that I met, you know, and she invited me to come and sit with her and color with her. And she made an attempt to communicate, but then it became tiresome. And, and, and the poor thing, I mean, what do you expect from her? She was a six-year-old girl. And she kind of walked away and I was left largely alone. Loneliness is tough, but things were about to take a sour turn. This group of boys would get me in a corner and like would punch me in the stomach and kick me and do things that really painful, you know, physical harm and make fun of me for the way that I spoke. And I would come home and I would throw up and cry. And after a couple of weeks, it became really awful. I wasn't learning any English. No surprise in an environment like that. Ever since then, just British schoolboys just scare the living daylights out of me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There is something truly cruel about um, schoolboys in general. 
Unfortunately, Dina knew too well why they didn't like her. A truly horrible thing to learn, especially so young. It was because I was a foreign kid and, and, you know, and it was because I didn't speak English and it was specifically because I was from the Middle East and from Iran. Remember in the mid-80s, the Iran-Iraq war was on the news all the time. It was a scary conflict to watch. And I imagine that many of the parents of these children were not getting a great impression of Iran and they didn't really want to think too much about what the people may be like. It's amazing how strong our perceptions and beliefs towards millions of people can be without knowing a single one of them personally. You know, we were a very peaceful kind of people and we were very intellectual and we read old literature and poetry and we had this village in Iran where we would go and, and sit around with our family and eat and drink and tell stories. So we weren't very different from these kind of English families that were so very obviously scared of us because they were passing down this fear to their children. But unfortunately, an instinctive human response to fear is violence. There was this kind of big round playground and there was a shed in the middle of it. You know, it was kind of the art room. Kids were streaming in and out of it during playtime. I saw that they were playing this kind of game of ice cream parlor where they would take the door handle and pretend it was a little ice cream dispenser. And, you know, somehow through the gestures, I got the gist of this game. It was something I could play, <laughs> you know, because I, it didn't require many words. So I was playing and at some point my I slipped my finger into the door jam and this kid looks right in my face and slams the door shut. My finger severed at the first segment, kind of a little bit above the first segment. I still have a scar that goes right through the bottom of my nail, round to the first segment up to the tip. It fell on the ground and there was so much blood and I screamed and the kid was horrified of course. I think he just I don't think he knew what would happen. And then the other children were like screaming, the teacher came running. You know, it's funny, the visuals that stay with you for a memory like that, they're just all of these tissues. And then they fell to the ground all bloody, like little blossoms all around my feet. She never went back to that school. Her finger was sewn back on and her nail grew back, despite the doctors thinking otherwise. She went to her auntie's wedding a few days later then left the country. We went back to Iran. And in Iran, I started an Iranian school. I went to a kind of a brutal Islamic Republic school uh, for, the, for three years where I was under the hijab. And worse things happened at that school than in the UK school ever. As if things weren't bad enough, at the age of eight, the government found out her mum was a practicing Christian. Fearing the worst, they had to escape. And when we became refugees, you don't really decide where to go. You apply to countries and somebody gives you sanctuary. And the country that gave us sanctuary was, was the US. And with that, Dina was given a chance for a new life, away from the tyranny of her school. She was once hopeful that the land of the free would be able to offer them a safe place to thrive. The first few years we were in America, I was so very obviously the foreign kid and I was getting the same kind of racism every single day for years. A lot worse because we also were refugees then, which means we didn't have anything. We were poor, so there was the classism and the racism and the xenophobia all wrapped up together. And so those first few years were hard, but I remade myself into this like American girl and I had my, um, I studied so hard to have the right accent and all of that stuff. The studying paid off. Dina started doing well at school and also started making friends but she was constantly aware of people judging her for being different and changed her behavior just to fit in. 
In an attempt to achieve a level of safety and security in her life, Dina decided she'd try to become an investment banker. And then I, I went to university at Princeton. And once again found herself in a heavily white environment where most people couldn't relate to her early years. In the summer of her second year, she was accepted onto an investment banking job placement for the summer in London. When, they, when I thought about going back to London, I, I was told that the investment bank that hired us, that they had something like 200 interns from top schools around the world. And when you're a Princeton student and you think of other banking interns, what you think about is white boys. And if you're going to England, you think about a certain kind of, you know, white boys. <laughs> and, and, and for me, I didn't, because my six-year-old self didn't really make any class distinctions about that little boy. I didn't think, oh, well, what kind of background would he have had, etc. I imagined how he has grown into some dickish banker type from a public school. <laughs> I, I, forgetting that, by the way, this wasn't a public school kind of feeder in Golders Green. <laughs> but I, I, had, I had put those two kinds of villains together in my head. You know, the, the public school boy who's mean to women, who's going to banking to make a ton of money, and this boy who did that to my finger, even though they were actually probably quite different backgrounds. I kind of melded them into one frightening person who would immediately call me out for not belonging. We all need to feel like we belong. I remember a couple of moments, scary moments, like for example, when the flight landed in Heathrow and suddenly I knew I wasn't on American soil anymore and it, I didn't feel safe. And I don't know why I didn't realize or I, that, you know, this is equal levels of safety. UK and the US are the same. To me, it's just like I'm further east. You know, I'm, I'm thousands of miles closer to Iran um, and I'm back in the sight of this painful thing that happened to me. Um, and then, of course, I was in the same apartment where my finger healed, where I had all those pain meds as a little kid. But at least she had the comfort of living back with her grandma. Her Western way of life didn't seem so strange this time around. A couple of days later, she went in for her first day on the job. This cohort of people in this intern program were mostly white men, one or two men of color, a few women, like I say about 20% of them were women, but, but the 20% that were women, they had their hair all severely pinned up and, you know, they looked the part. Though Dina did find some good friends in London, she still never felt completely comfortable and found herself thinking about her early days in the US. We were refugees and we hadn't been accepted yet and we were stateless. I mean, you've had those kind of chunks of time in your life during your formative years, you're not going to immediately uh, feel safe as soon as some institution accepts you. So it took many, many years, even after I had an American passport, an American education, entry into a good school, where I still didn't feel completely safe or permission to be myself or be silly or stupid or, you know, say anything stupid without having my entire, you know, intelligence question. But I did see a big difference the third time I came. There's something about London that just kept enticing her back. This time in 2015, I moved to the UK when I was pregnant with my now British partner and we kind of settled in to London life in a way that was much more real than the first two times because, you know, both the first two times were summers, you know, just summers. And by this point, Dina had also changed her career. 
the whole investment banking and consulting thing was just so the immigrant in me crying out for safety. It's not what I should have been doing <laughs> at all. And, and I wasn't happy in any of those places. At that point, I was already a writer when we moved to London. So the people around me were very different. I was getting involved with refugee circles. I was getting involved with charities that worked with displaced people, with writers and journalists and things like that. So, of course, there's lots of people who want immigrants gone, who taught that little boy all of the biases that he had, who continue to want a white country that, is, that hasn't changed or doesn't change. But I, I guess I didn't run into those people again. The London that I found was inclusive and warm and was fighting that kind of instinct. With any luck, this isn't just Dina's perception that's changed. I'm hopeful that the average member of the public here has become more welcoming and accepting of our differences. One of the most encouraging and revitalizing and heartening things that I experienced was coming to London and seeing how big Refugee Week is. And to be involved with it, just to see how many native-born British people just put their heart and soul in making this happen. And how the whole thing is about showcasing the talent of migrants and refugees and showing how wonderful they are for, for England and how much you know England was made up of all of these different kinds of people. Not just living alongside each other, but like working together and living together and loving each other and like sharing creativity, right? And that for me was just this incredible closure to all of these set of experiences because it felt like a, a complete 180 from the London I experienced when I was six. Dina's energy and optimism is infectious. Despite the traumatic challenges she's faced, she recounts her experiences with such enthusiasm. Overall, it seems that Dina has undergone the worst and the best of the immigrant experience. She experienced the worst during her childhood when she was exposed to small-minded prejudice, the dehumanizing effect of which saw her abused both emotionally and physically. She had a much more positive experience as a student in the US and upon her return to the UK. By this time, she had found a society which was ready to embrace her and acknowledge the value of other cultures. The growth that London had undergone as a culture mirrored her own personal growth. She no longer felt as if she had to spend her life guarding herself against judgmental and threatening forces around her. As a result, she has been able to show her true self in a familiar yet unfamiliar environment. And she's also been able to find the closure she deserves. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week.